Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook and Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so I was saying you were you're eating a crepe. And I was watching uh, on Netflix that show with uh, Zac Efron, who uh, I'm just I'm, I've just become a big fan of. Like I really like Zac Efron. I think he's in, extremely talented. And I think a lot of people, or a lot of times, or maybe even myself, years ago, might have just been like, eh, "Screw that guy. He's good looking. He has everything. Whatever." But he's really talented, and he's funny, and uh, he does this, he's doing this um, documentary series on Netflix where he goes around different countries, looks at uh, renewable resources, uh, different uh, culinary dishes from different countries. And, and uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a, a climate conscious uh, foodie type series, uh, docu series. It's actually been pretty entertaining. But uh, I say all that because I didn't realize that there's a train that you can ride that takes your car from England to France. Didn't know You've that. You've never heard it, of a ferry before. Yeah, but this goes underwater. Oh, the channel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, I've heard of a ferry, but I've, yeah, I've, I've taken a boat. I've driven my car into a boat to go someplace. I've never had to go single file into a train that goes underwater in a tube so you're in a car, in a train, in a tube underwater as it takes you from your island country to uh, France, which I didn't realize is only 30 miles from that particular location. Oh, yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, to France. That's crazy. You can see the white cliffs of Dover from the French coast on a clear day. That's so cool, you know. And, and again, uh, unfortunately, in America, and it's not all of all our fault. Um, I think it's, it's a number of factors that lead to this, but, uh, we're, we're consumed and, and do consume much of our own, uh, uh, whatever we just consume our own. So whether it's our own news, our own, whatever's happening here, we are kind of consumed with it. And so we, you miss out on a lot of things like that. I, I love learning about a little fact like that, which I had no idea until how old was I until I learned that much older than I rightfully should be. So, Well, it's a little-known um, fact that there's a car ferry within the city of London to take your car across the Thames. Did not know that as well. Yes, it's in Woolwich Arsenal, about 10 minutes away from my house. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Yeah. Cool. That is so cool. So what have you been playing? Today is a big day. I'm very excited about today's episode. I've been wanting to discuss... A few. We're going to spoil a couple things, not just all of Last of Us, um, but we'll get to that. But uh, first, what have we been playing? We, first of all, I mean you. 
Well, I've been playing more Fallout 76. Get out of town. There's no way. I know. I mean, we knew it was going to be me playing that. And and originally I was like, mm, it's a little bit vapid. I'm not super into how empty it still seems and things like that. But now that I've found a newfound love for building a really adorable camp that other people can visit and enjoy and seem to really like, um, because obviously it's an MMO, so there are other people in the game right and uh, you can build a camp and it's free for you to travel to your camp and other people pay a fee depending how far away they are from your camp they can use all your resources and things like that and I've just really started to invest time in making a really cute looking camp with like little signage and things like that you know it's like pretty well organized and a bit on the adorable side and sometimes <laughs> I catch people in my camp like using the stuff or whatever and often they'll want to like do a photo off like take a picture with me like you know they'll like clap or whatever and it makes me think they really like it and I don't know it feels nice <laughs> so to That's be appreciated cool. um, my biggest criticism and I think that at the end of the day I don't know if I'll be able to play a really long time because of this but VATS is essentially pointless now um, That's yeah. They, that's been a time. criticism from the beginning of that game yeah, and VATS was what I really loved about Fallout that I felt made it different from other games because you could you could really build a character that was like a precision rifleist and just smash things from pretty far across the map and and like watch them explode into pieces and stuff and super satisfying. That's not really a thing that you can do. VATS works more to just position you to what's attacking you because the whole movement and everything is a little bit clunky as they kind of all are in, in Fallout. But it doesn't it doesn't slow time at all and is sort of pointless. And the shortage of ammo is unreal. Like honestly, you spend most of your time just trying to make sure you've got three different types of guns for when you run out of ammo in the middle of doing something, because you're gonna. Um, I can't seem to ever get enough ammo. I've got like all the perks to be able to break everything down to get more ammo and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's just not working out like it used to in the other games. Yeah. Um, so those are some criticisms which I kind of think mean that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time playing it. Not like I did. I mean, I was pretty much completionist in all the other fallouts and now I barely have any interest to do like side missions because it's so tedious um, I'm kind of just enjoying doing the bare minimum so that I can do another thing to my base that makes me happy do you know but this, the missions kind of suck um, because of the ammo issue because VATS is and it's super stressful like the way that I like to play is like more stealthy and then to use VATS and like kill things from a distance and because it doesn't slow time you just end up getting overwhelmed no matter what you do like it's it's really hard to keep things at a reasonable range and I just right. don't enjoy that and yeah. I was watching some guides saying that like basically you might as well just go melee because VATS is pointless and melee is almost like uncapped damage because you can put all of your points into strength and then that actually directly impacts how much damage you do with melee weapons so whereas you can't really do anything to increase the damage of guns and stuff you just need to have a better gun um right. so yeah 
those are some I think pretty extreme criticisms and I don't think they ever should have messed around with vats I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have been able to have vats be like it normally is because um when you're in your own instance like the stuff is happening just to you and to your team if you're on a team so like maybe disable vats in the open world but like inside of missions why couldn't you have it be like normal like i don't know right i have some criticisms about it but because it's the same thing that i've been playing before i thought it would be fun to go through some instagram discussions that we've been having which I will read since you've got a little creature coming in to like talk to you. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, there she is. So, um, the question was, what was your first platform, and when did you, when do you like first remember gaming? So, we have a comment from at the whiskey pop saying at about four or five years old. They started playing and their first platform was arcade games such as Space Invaders and Pac-Man and their first console was Atari 2600 which that's like properly old school which is way earlier than me and I think earlier than you I mean four or five years old Atari like, 2600 is the is my first really yeah yeah but you weren't four or five <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> neither was I to be fair neither was I then uh, at Melly uh, at Melissa Angel Diggs said uh, they're a classic gamer at six years old, currently thirty. So uh, we're both a little bit older. I say a little bit, quite a bit older than you, uh, but six. That's that's well young. I think um, I had said that my earliest game was like around eight, at like Duck Hunt, um, right. and that's on the Nintendo. And then at Dinobot90 said seven years old, started playing video games, and the first platform was arcade fighting games like Street Fighter. That's the first fighter game that anybody has mentioned. Um, I definitely remember arcade games like classic Mortal Kombat on the arcade. Dope. Right. Um, and then at Dutch Companion 4, or at Dutch Companion said, four years old with a Game Boy Advance and the Powerpuff Girls Bubbles game. I've never oh, even heard of that, but like, I remember the Powerpuff Girls. They were like well popular. They said they're 24 now and they haven't, they still haven't beat the game. I was like, so many like young gamers, man. So many young gamers. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, at Ben Mitchell. 7737 said six years old and classic NES which that's pretty close to my first gaming experience I mean I was eight but it was classic NES with the old duck hunt what was your first game and platform and how old were you it was on 2600 uh, I think it was on the Atari and it was it was either war or pong, uh, some Arkanoid maybe uh, or, you know what, to be honest, it, it may have actually, it was either the Atari or it was the arcade. Those are two things that, uh, that dominated as, as when I was a kid, five, six, seven years old. Uh, let's see, I was five. I was probably by the time I was six or seven, I had a Coleco, ColecoVision. Um, by the time I was nine or 10, we had an NES. 
Um, so I played all of I played all of the games that were listed except for the Powerpuff Girl I think game. I have not played that. Um, but that was probably my one of my biggest influences in just games and loving games and just being enamored with what's happening. Even when I didn't realize how much I was being manipulated, like in Gauntlet, uh, where you would, you know you put in a quarter and it gives you so much health, but your health is steadily ticking down. So you have to keep putting quarters in. So I didn't know that, you know. So it wasn't like you could just put a quarter up there on 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 uh, Street Fighter and play until somebody beat you. You know, that was something that was big in the arcades back then as well. Uh, loved Altered Beast. And, and uh, I mean, I, c- I could probably list uh, hundreds of games. In fact, I, and I know I've talked about it on the show, I've got two of those arcade one-up cabinets in my house that have Rampage, uh, Joust, loved Joust, uh, got, uh, Miss pa- or I got uh, Pac-Man and Pac-Man 2. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably older than most of the ones that listed <laughs> their, their first gaming experience. But I think a lot of us had a gaming experience at a very, you know, around the same time, you know, four, five or five, six, seven, eight, somewhere around that was especially those of us that have been gaming, uh, have been lifelong gamers probably started around that time. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Although I have to say, I said it the first time. Whenever you mention you had these cabinets, I'm just like your wife is the most long-suffering woman on the face of this earth. Because I'm a gamer <laughs> and I would not see. allow arcade cabinets in my house. No way. <laughs> it's just a difference. <laughs> we have more space than you do, you know. So I've got. There's a way to make it look cool where that and maybe having like a bar around it. And then I want a, a coffee table one, maybe like a centipede or something like that. And uh, you got and more <laughs> space than you need. That's what you're saying. Here. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. But uh, I, I, I wouldn't I would not uh, <laughs> argue that at all. I definitely have more space than I need. Um, but since I have the space, duh, I'm going to fill it with gaming cabinets do you know what i remember like really loving and we talked about it before but like i used to go to cc's pizza as a kid maybe like i don't know around 12 and they always had that arcade in the back and they always had cruise in the world or cruise in usa that like car game oh i used to play that thing like bananas man i think i spent more playing that game than it cost to feed me at the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely it did too. There there was a place, I mean, Chuck E. Cheese, obviously, and Showbiz Pizza were the places to go back in the day. And, and Chuck E. Cheese is, and, and actually gaming arcades have changed drastically. Now they're all about tickets and stuff like that. But before, you used to have cabinet, rows of cabinets, of, of stand-up arcade cabinets. And you would, you know, just... So many different games, each of them with different uh, themes and, and gra- levels of graphics. Putt-Putt used to have something similar, but now, I mean, you could go play, uh, you know, go play miniature golf, and then you come inside uh, and, and play in the arcade, and you could get so many tokens and a piece of pizza and soda and all the golf you wanted to play for, like, five bucks in the 80s. I mean, it was... It was a magical, magical time. I do miss that, um, to be honest. I really miss that sometimes. Yeah. Like playing the classic like House of a Thousand Corpses or like Resident Evil Absolutely, with the like yeah. shooter guns that like were never properly calibrated for the screen, so that was oh, like no, half no, no, of figuring no. yeah. out how to play it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, if you had enough money, you could beat that game. You know, you could sit there and beat that game. Um, D- Double Dragon would be one that me and a, a friend would always try to finish. Uh, I remember vividly um, Ninja Ninja Gaiden uh, was a was a game that much different in the arcade and had a really graphic countdown screen for continue, where you've got 10 seconds and you're being held down as like a ninja and this saw is like lowering closer and closer to your chest and it's going to kill you. And I just remember at 11 or 12 being like, well, that's, it seems like a bit much. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems that excessive. Seem like oh, uh, and, even and for like the eighties. Classic Tekken on the arcade. Oh, oh, so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's good. Uh, but man, if you look back and you're like, man, that's, that was the top. But it's, I mean, it's so bad now, but that was the top, you know, that was, that was, that oh, was, it was the, so good re- at the time. I remember like always wanted to be Nina, like no one was allowed to be Nina. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, the, the fighting games were a whole genre. They obviously they're a genre of their own, but that's a whole arcade genre where a, a very, a group would go play those and, you know, and, and that was kind of all they did. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I, have a lot of experience in the in arcades just because that was uh, I remember as a kid growing up my mom and dad did their laundry at the laundromat and there were arcade cabinets in there because you got to sit in there till it's washed and dried so we would play arcade games then there's an arcade in town there was one at the pizza sh- pizza shop and so or pizza parlor whatever and uh yeah so really good memories and and probably some of my first memories before I ever had a console. But one last story uh, about that before we move on. I had a friend I played baseball with as a kid whose dad owned um, an amusement business. His, uh, In fact, they sponsored our baseball team, A1 Amusements. And he bought the arcade cabinets and would lease them. Like, basically, he wouldn't even lease them. He would he'd say, like, I'm going to put my cabinets uh, in your store. I get all the quarters, you know. So basically, if it was uh, if you went into a place that had two arcade cabinets, like a like a CC's Pizza, he might own the cabinets, and he would be loaning them over there, and he got all the quarters. So that's how he made his money was from that. Well, we could go in his shop many times, and they would put them together, and then we could just play them for free. So we would open up the cabinets. You put in a thousand quarters. We'd be playing a game like I got to. That's the first time I played Super Mario Three. When Super Mario 3 was on like a Neo Geo style Nintendo, it had like four or five different games on it, and you could pick the game, so you put in your quarters, pick a game, and that was the first time uh, Super Mario 3 was released. It was before it was on Nintendo, uh, before it had come out on the NES, so so yeah, just some really cool, we'd be in the warehouse just playing video games all, uh, all day long for nothing. It was great. Anyway, so... You've been playing that, and that is, uh, you've been playing Fallout 76. I'm really enjoying uh, the comments on, on some of our um, Instagram stuff, so please keep them coming. That stuff's really, we love to interact with y'all. If you, if you have questions or anything, put them out there as well, because um, we'd love to hear from you guys if, if um, you've got feedback. Um, for me, I've been playing, I've, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like, right, I'm in the conversation now, which is so unlike me, uh, playing Ghosts of, uh, Ghosts of Tsushima. Yeah. 
And Ghost of Tsushima is a game that was just released this summer, maybe within the last uh, few weeks, I think. Oh, yeah, you're uh, on know. top of things for real. Oh, uh, I know. Uh, so Ghost of Tsushima, you play as a samurai in feudal Japan uh, on an island of Tsushima. And uh, the Mongols invade. And uh, you meet them in battle. And that's kind of where the story starts. Now, the thing, the big thing about this is, uh, or kind of one of the premises themes is the is the fact that you, as a samurai, have a particular code. But with the gameplay and the way that they've got it set up, uh, you kind of you can play in a way that kind of contradicts the idea of honor and and bushido, and so. If you if you, you can go into a battle and call out uh, the people, let them all know that you're there, and then fight them all as they surround you, uh, and it and it's really cool because it can make you feel like a really powerful uh, samurai or a dope when you get your teeth kicked in because you're not very good at it like I was at first. I hadn't unlocked very many skills, and so I called them out and got overwhelmed and killed. Um, but as you level up and as you put skill points and technique points into different samurai techniques and different stances that, that you know, and you can switch between the stances based on the enemies that you're, that you're fighting, um, you get to where you feel more and more powerful, where you can take four or five people on and kill them all with one strike apiece. So it's like a parry strike, parry strike, parry strike, and everyone's dead. Um, and so it's it's really cool. The the graphics are great. The world is beautiful. It's open. Uh, it's an open map for the most part. I would say it's very it's a, very akin to. Uh, this is a comparison I think that will be made a lot to this game. It's a little like The Witcher, or any game where it's a it's kind of an over the shoulder third person action adventure where you've got side quests and a main story. That's base. That's the general premise of the game. And, um, you know, with, with uh, NPCs that you run across, you can chat with them. It'll go into a cut scene. Then it will open up a spot on your map where you're like, okay, here's a question mark. You can go here and you can find out what's going on there. Uh, there are enemy territories that are, that are uh, they were once Japanese settlements. Now they're Mongol. Now they've been taken over by the Mongols. And so you have to... Uh, infiltrated you can do it from uh, as a in a sneaky way so kind of more like a ninja uh or you can uh come in like straight through bow and arrow and and sword and try to take them all from the front door so uh it, you can kind of there's a there's a lot of um a lot of choice in the way you want to go about putting your character together Lots of choices in their armor and, and dyes that you can choose to change the color. So, and a ton of collectibles, you know. So, I'd say it's closer to The Witcher than it is with a few collectible uh, collectibles similar to Assassin's Creed. But I'm really enjoying it. I'm about four or five hours into it. And... Um, I had to finish The Last of Us because the controls are so much different between the two games. It was messing me up really bad in Ghost of Tsushima when I would go back and try to use the controls from Last of Us. So I had to purge it from my memory and, and go into a, a completely different game. But hopefully by the next time I'll have a, a, like a more full review of, of this game uh, 
once I've been able to really play it and 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 get a feel, maybe even finish it. Uh, but I'd say it's sim- more similar to The Witcher than anything else uh, in terms of gameplay mechanics and themes and stuff like that. Well, you're super topical and on time because that's all anybody can talk about is Ghost of Tsushima right now. It's a good game. It's a really good game. It's made by Sucker Punch, who made uh, Infamous, the Infamous series. Um, this is a new IP, and and I always I always like seeing new IPs from from companies that have a have a kind of a a a, a I guess a history of making really good games. You know, you've you don't see it. a lot of times they'll go back to the well and make a uh, sequel to something they've already made, and so it's cool to see uh, a well-established company make a, a new IP. So. But um, Ellen, uh, I I got my Game Informer magazine I guess in the last week, and there's an article in there for Cyberpunk. It's like a 20-page article for Cyberpunk 2077. I am so excited about that game. That oh, game me is too. Be awesome. That game's going to be awesome. All right. So, uh, that brings us to the news. I've only got one bit of news, so. Well, I've got two bits, so I'll go first. Two bits. So, uh, the first bit of news will start on a bad note and on a high note. I like it. Um, so, I think it's important to keep highlighting when this sort of thing happens. Like, I hate to harp on it, but it keeps happening all the time. Um, and that is when children manage to deplete their parents' savings or their own savings through uh, video gaming uh, addiction of one form or another. So, in this case, uh, a young teenager who is quote-unquote, addicted to Fortnite. I didn't say that. It's in the article. Um, right. Spent their, his parents' 20000 U.S. dollar savings in a matter of a couple weeks donating to his favorite Twitch streamers. Ah. Yeah, and apparently his mom had given him a credit card to, like, buy, like, books and stuff like that. Um, that had, I think, a spending limit or something like that. Um, But he saw her type the password in at some point and then used it to make continuous high-value donations to uh, three or four different Twitch streamers um, within the course of a couple weeks. And by the time she got her statement, the money was pretty much gone out of the account, all of it. Um, wow. And the the mother has tried contacting um, Twitch. They've not responded. She's reached out to the um, streamers that he donated to, I guess, in an effort to get them to reverse the transaction or whatever. But basically, the bank won't do anything because they're saying it's like friendly fraud, which is basically like, sorry, somebody in your house did it, and that's on you. Which I think mm-hmm. kind of sucks because, like, that's not consumer protection friendly like obviously it's a case of stolen identity it wasn't her making those transactions and it really doesn't matter who steals your identity i mean if you're married and your wife spends everything in your bank account like surely there's got to be something like you know it's not like it was a joint account i think that would be different you know this was her account um so right. yeah, I th- I'm hoping that they can do something. Like even if they can't get all the money back, at least some of it. Um, hopefully the Twitch streamers will refund or something like that. You know, 
that would be, I think, right. a good gesture. But yeah, it's sort of sad. But twenty grand—that's a lot to lose in a couple of weeks. Twenty grand is a lot. I, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I, I don't understand how they can't reimburse some of it or figure out a way to make that work because that's a huge chunk. Most of us couldn't afford to lose twenty grand. Um, I would say that's a safe, safe statement to make. The majority of us are not millionaires, and so twenty grand is is a is a ton of money. Um, I mean, the average person in the UK only has a couple hundred pounds of savings. So she already had way more savings than most people did. And to lose all of that, I mean, that's quite devastating. Mm. Devastating. That's a, yeah, I'd say that's a good way to put it. Um, well, that is bad. Uh, I will. You said that you had good news. So I also have good news. I'm going to um, I'll lead with the next story. Uh the the new Star Wars Squadrons game, which is uh, and one of the games that was kind of demoed with EA Play and and uh, is a is a dogfighting game. It's kind of a flight sim in a way, um, in the ilk of you know the classic Tie Fighter and X Wing games on PC. Uh, the reason that this is newsworthy and noteworthy is because uh, of the price point uh that they're that they're coming out with so the price of this game is going to be forty dollars uh for a full for the full game um which i found to be really interesting and fascinating and it kind of sparked an, a question um and it's a debate for another time we've talked about this a little bit but i'm sure we could revisit it i watched a uh, another documentary uh yesterday about uh, or not yesterday maybe the day before yesterday either way it was about, it's on Netflix, and it was about the business of drugs, like illicit drugs. And there was a quote on there from a, I think he was either a business professor, or maybe a professor of history I, I, from Harvard, that said, um, there was a, he, he, and he mentioned, um, I believe he mentioned video games as an example. Not like video games are addictive or and there's this through line between video games and uh, drugs, but the price points that they're set at. And what he said was, with drugs, drugs haven't been, the price of drugs hasn't really changed in decades. But the reason that is, for the, based on the whatever amount and, and, and whatever, so the price hasn't changed. And the reason that is, is because there's a level of expectation. You know what you're getting for the, for the amount. There is a and he makes the connection with video games as well as we we know if you buy a video game that the next video game should be approximately the same amount so you you have this expectation I know what I'm going to get I think it changes how we look at maybe what to expect with a video game and why people get up in arms if a game is only 12 hours when they paid full price when that's what the publishers intended and and the nuance of all that. I just thought it was a an interesting point to make and one that I think we've kind of discussed to some extent that uh, there is an expectation based on the game. If I told you that this game is going to cost $40, what does that make you think, right? What does that make you think, Amanda, if this is a full or, or you know, this is a this is a game coming from EA Play that's going to cost $40. What what would how does what does that make you think? Uh, it's indie. What? <laughs> That's what I would think. If it's if it's okay. less than sixty pounds, then I would think it's not a triple A title, basically. 
Right, and maybe it's not even full length. It's it's probably a, a much smaller. It's a smaller game on a smaller budget, and so it doesn't warrant the price of what other games do. You know, so and that's mine as well. And I think that's that that proves the point that you ha- you see the price point that that leads to a certain number of expectations for that game, uh, and and right or wrong, it's just the way that it is. So they uh, anyway. So GameSpot. Uh, reported this, uh, that Star Wars Squadron's price is a risk, and the risk is in quotes, and that's said by the, by the publishers, but may get people curious, uh, and, and, and I guess is, makes it more accessible. I definitely would be much more apt to pay $40 uh, than $60 for a game, but for a game like this, which I would be moderately interested, it's a Star Wars game, and I'm a big Star Wars fan, but uh, I don't know that I necessarily wanted to play a flight sim for TIE Fighters and X-Wings, but now that it's $40, much more likely uh, that I'll give it a go. So, good. Good news. Uh, you know, a lower yeah, price point, that's like always that. good. So, what about you? What's your uh, last bit of news? So, mine's a rumor at the moment, and we'll find out tomorrow. So, today we're recording this 22nd of July. Tomorrow, the 23rd at 5 p.m. UK time, I think 9 PST, uh, is the Xbox Game Showcase, where basically they've said, if it isn't a game, it ain't going to be in it, because people sort of moaned about the last conference Xbox did and said there wasn't enough games. So now this is all games. Um, And essentially they're expecting for them to reveal Fable 4. They're expecting more about Senua Saga Hellblade 2. They're expecting to get um, uh, more about the like indie developer games and things like that. Um, and then the rumor is that we're going to get a new Splinter Cell game for the first time since 2013. Wow. Um, and that was uh, dropped by someone named Gaming Bolt. Um, in a post, they're convinced that we're going to get a, a new Splinter Cell game as part of this launch. Um, and we're hoping to see more about Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, we've already seen Microsoft and Ubisoft doing lots of stuff sort of in the run-up to promote Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So it'll be interesting to see what other games are released. But I'm quite keen for Fable, and I actually really like Splinter Cell back in the day. I would play it again. So if yeah. they make a new Splinter Cell game, I'm, I'm down. I might, I might play it. Uh, it's one of those stealth action games, and I'm a fan. I, like, I do like that genre. Um, and I definitely would play another fable. I, I, Peter Molyneux for all the good and bad. I've always, except for the, uh, the connect, uh, game that they had where you could cast spells with your hands and other dumb shit. Um, I actually have liked all three fable games in the series very much. You know, I enjoyed all of them. So. Whatever happened to that game with the kid we were supposed to get? Like, what was his name? The kid oh, that yeah. the Connect was supposed to control? You're supposed to be your little friend? Come on, yeah. Peter, get out of here. <laughs> I, I dig it that, man, he's got big dreams and ideas. I just, I hate that. I don't know if his dreams are bigger than his Milo, pockets. Milo, in the Milo. Yeah, I think that's what it was. 
But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's that or or if he just likes to likes to say things before anyone knows if it's even possible or probable or if like this I'm gonna is the guess first time it's any the of latter. Heard it. What? I'm gonna guess he just likes to say things before yeah, they're he real. Just likes to say, you're probably right. You're probably probably right. So, um, well, that's uh, that's. That's the news, and mostly positive. Even if it's on speculation, I have a feeling that um, 50% of that stuff might come true. So uh, I'd be willing to bet on the Splinter Cell at some point. It's just too big of a franchise for it not to come back. Uh, I think, for as far as I know, Fable, even with the bad press, always did well. So um, financially, that is. Yeah, you know. super well financially. Um, I think the only negative was uh, the fact that it it was supposed to have features that it didn't end up having, you know. And the negative of what, Fable Legends? Wasn't it some mobile game that they were developing, did develop? I don't remember. I, I don't remember either. The, the The last one that I do remember was the one on Kinect where you could, like, you were riding along or you're in a carriage and you could cast spells using your hands. And it just, again, wasn't exactly what he wanted or they wanted uh or what what he what he promised everyone you know which isn't new but that's okay uh but that brings us to our main topic and this one uh who knows how long this is going to be but the point is is that uh we're going to discuss the last of us there are going to be spoilers for the last of us two the last of us one uh i'm not holding back on anything that i say yeah, like big spoilers. Like, like basically, spoilers. if you have not like, completed this game, please exit now. Like right, come back <laughs> when you've come leave. back when you've played it. Love to hear your thoughts if you've played it, uh, but be sure and play it first, um, and uh, and then come back and, and listen to this. So, uh, and then I may, well, I won't spoil that, but I am going to say there's a video out right now about. Final Fantasy 7. I was going to mention it, uh, but I don't want to... I was going to actually mention the ending of the first half of the game uh, because I know Daniel's played it and I've talked to him a little bit about it, but I didn't really understand. But but basically what I've got, what I've gathered from the ending, and I'm not going to say what happens at the end necessarily. All I'm going to say is it makes playing Final Fantasy 7... It makes it worthwhile, and it's going to make playing the second half, if they ever get it finished in the next 10 years, worthwhile even more so. Um, something, it's, it's, it's not exactly what happens in final, the first original Final Fantasy VII. Uh, I may spoil it in the next episode or something, but something happens, and it's definitely, it's huge. The implications for it are huge uh, in terms of the story, and so... Um, Check it out, play it, uh, and I may spoil that next time. But but let's move on with uh, The Last of Us 2. So I, I just want to start by saying that when I finished the game, the next morning I woke up and I had this overwhelming sense of, of like sadness. Like I was sad. Not because – I was sad because of the content of the game, but in a good way. Like, man, I just like – like it was – but it was over, you know, I dreamed about like jumping over chest high walls and into windows and had the anxiety of, is there something in here uh, of, of 
taking my time. I mean, I, it was just so ingrained because I, I guess I had played so much of it over the course of the last few weeks, and especially at the end where I was trying to play it every chance I got to finish it, that it just it just washed over me. That was the feeling of 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 being in that game world was almost as real as being in the real world. It's like it, I had it manifested in really in real ways uh, from emotionally. Uh, I had anxiety because I don't know if that's a <laughs> that's necessarily a good thing, but it was it just shows how much this game had an impact on me. Both of the game, both the games in this series, um, and I'm I'm so pleased with the way it ended. We both will have criticisms about this game. We both will be able to kind of uh, and air that and explain our our points. Uh, and I think that we'll find that they're. We had different issues, uh, maybe even the same things we had issues, we had issues for different reasons. Um, but all in all, this is one of my favorite games I've ever played. It's in my top ten. It's a must-play, in my opinion, for anybody that's a fan of the series or a fan of narrative-driven uh, games. It's, it's a fantastic story that has to be played. Like, you have to play it. You can't, you can't watch it necessarily i don't think <laughs> well that's and I say funny that, well i say that because if you watch it you miss out on why why the flashbacks i think are important and how they're important and i don't i don't agree with some of the criticisms of how the gameplay was redundant or um or uh, derivative or and, and it's hard to be derivative of yourself within the same game if that makes sense. It's like, but I think people said stuff like that because the game was longer than they expected. But I think that I'm, I, I know I'm actually 100% okay with how long the game was. And it took me much longer to beat that game than it did most people. <laughs> At the end, I think it, I was closer to 38 hours. Oh, that's way longer than it takes most people. Well, maybe before yeah. we dive into that, I should put a caveat out for my side. So, I don't own any PlayStation, and I have not played either game. <laughs> that being but, said, <laughs> but I think that my value will be to voice the general consensus from a devil's advocacy perspective. Yeah, and I like so, that. Yeah. You know, and the, it's not like you don't know what happened. You did, you did see, you did watch. Yeah, I did. I have watched, and I have like watched the entire like four hour every bit of dialogue cutscenes for the first one, and I watched all the key plot cutscenes for the second one. So I know what happens, and I've known what happens even before you finish the game, but I've also been keeping up to date with the sort of general criticism side, because I had a feeling that you would like it, so you you can be the opposition. <laughs> so I think my cool. goal here is just to present the alternative views. I personally have really no vested opinion, because I haven't played right. it. And I don't think right. it would be fair for me to have my own like vested opinion unless I played it. Um, right. And I've sort of a bit ruined it for myself because I'm not the kind of person that plays things more than once. And now that I've seen it, I probably won't play it. So for the purposes right. of this, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate to whatever you say. So be prepared for that. Fair. Yeah, I'm prepared. So, um, 
so let's just from a from a gameplay perspective, you you really wouldn't be able to. I don't guess you'd be able to. Did you watch much of that part of it? Yep. Because there were there I were walkthroughs. The first and stuff. two hours of okay. gameplay that PewDiePie did. Okay. Um, I would say, just as a, a disclaimer in a way, if you are going to watch this, and I would in, I would actually encourage, I'll even send you the link, Amanda. There's another walkthrough that you can, uh, that has, it's almost a seamless playthrough where they've cut the film. There's, there's only voice acting and it's only the gameplay, but it takes like 20, it's like a, 20 hour video yeah no thank you <laughs> i have a life but but the, the reason the reason i say that is it's it's a 20 hour story and so you you can't get the nuance of the and i i say this i don't think you could get the nuance of and the and and the payoff for each one of those cutscenes if you didn't just try to trek through this and and almost die in all of these buildings Right. And so you it's Seattle day one. OK. And, and so let's say let's start off. Let's just start off from the beginning. So the beginning picks up where uh, Ellie and, and Joel are in Jackson and there's obviously a rift and, and there's an issue between Ellie and Joel because of something that happened the night before. Uh, if you have played through the first game, you know, kind of how their story ended in the first game where Ellie asks Joel point blank, what happened in, in, uh, you know, in, in the hospital in Salt Lake city or wherever it was. And, uh, Joel lies to her and says, uh, they couldn't cure you. There was no cure. And, uh, you know, and so we left and, uh, and that's not true. In fact, Joel went in there and he killed the doctors because they told him that they were going to have to kill her to get, uh, to get this sample out of her brain. They couldn't get it out of her brain without killing her. And so what's really cool about that is they show it from the other side in this game. So they show it from the Firefly side. Uh, but we'll get to, that, get to that in a minute. So in the beginning of the game, uh, Joel and Ellie are kind of at odds. Ellie, it's, it's years later. And so Ellie's an adult uh, in her early, you know, early 20s. And uh, has um, has a thing for uh, one of the girls that kissed her the night before, uh, Dina. And so the relationship between her and Dina kind of develops over time. And this has been a this is one of the criticisms of the game is that there's too many other characters, and there's not enough development of each one of the characters, um, which I think is valid. But I just don't agree. I think that there's enough on each one of the characters actually, including. Abby's dad, I think there's enough that gives him gravity so that when you think about, oh, shit, Joel kills Abby's dad, well, I think that that's, there's payoff there. There's a payoff once you get to that point in the game. But uh, anyway, so Joel and Tommy uh, go out on a, on a uh, to go out on a, I guess, I think they just they go out in pairs to look for supplies and, and to clear out buildings, make sure that there aren't any uh, infected anywhere. And they they constantly go to the checkpoints and sign it off. Well, early in the game, you're 
uh, Tommy and, and Joel go off and, and, and do that. They get caught in a storm, and you're introduced to Abby. So when you saw that, or did you did you see when you're kind of introduced to Abby? Yep. Okay. So what were your thoughts about being introduced to this character so early? That, so I would say that's one of the key criticisms, is that the story is sort of written upside down. So right. if you had started the game being introduced to this new character and the first half of the game was with the new character, I think it would be more powerful to then right. weave those pieces together to to sort of have your hand held a little bit um, to say like, oh, who, who am I playing as? Who is this person? And then let it dawn on you that her dad's the doctor. You know, like share that with you sort of early on before you get to the first major plot point because I think the number one criticism that people have is that they try to make you care about Abby after you know what she's done and that's really hard to overcome. And I think they succeed. I think they succeed. In fact I think in my opinion I think that if you had played with Abby first you would think the same things about Ellie that you now think about Abby. If you had started this whole series with Abby, but again, we'll get to that point and I'll, I'll explain why I feel that way. But one of the things that I really liked in, con in contrast to what you said, one of the things I really liked about the idea of seeing Abby so early, if, you, if anybody who's a fan of this game or who was tracking it since the beginning knows that the very first in-game cutscene that you get to see, and that's one of the things I love about this game is, is everything is in-game engine. It's seamless between every one of your cutscenes and every one of the gameplay, you know, elements. So you, the only way you know that you're back in control of your character is sometimes the, the the HUD comes back up, and you can see your weapons. Otherwise, there is no there's no there's no difference in the graphics. There's no there's no like. Um, it doesn't go screen doesn't go to black and then you're in a different camera. Uh, perspective. No, it's like all of a sudden you'll see the the camera gets taken over, and but you you're not necessarily out of um, you don't get pulled out of the experience. You're still immersed in the experience. It never changes. The only time it does is if you try to skip the cutscene and then you have to go to the loading screen. That's one of the things that they did is they hid a lot of the loading in in these cinematics, um, which I can dig. I appreciate that, but. Um, anyway, I liked being introduced to Abby so early in the game because if you've tracked it since the beginning, that is the first scene that you see is Abby being tortured. You see Abby being strung up uh, and hung, and you're like, I don't. First of all, I don't know who this character is. Obviously, this character is somebody that's important in the game, right? I, uh, maybe it's maybe it's Ellie's mom. Maybe it's I don't know. Number one, I I thought this. I know this person's important. Number two, she was a beast. I mean, she's she was awesome, super tough and strong. Uh, she was she was being hung, but eventually got out of that predicament, and then had to stand and fight against the oncoming infected. Now they never showed anything beyond her getting out of that particular predicament, but it was spoilery enough that if you remembered from over a year ago, 
that scene, you're like, you already know who this person is. You're just trying to fill in the gaps of who she is. They don't reveal at the beginning of the game that that is the daughter of the doctor that was going to do the surgery on Ellie. In fact, to me, I knew something bad was coming up because you get control of her and you know that she has an issue and you're pretty sure that her issue has to do with Joel, mainly because she eventually names him. But, um, and so you're assuming that maybe these are fireflies or maybe these are for, maybe, uh, maybe this is a rogue group of fireflies. You don't know who they are necessarily. When she gets in trouble and, and Joel and Tommy help her, I swear to God, I thought that she was going to let him go. Like, just be decent and let him go because they saved her life. When she domes him with a golf club, I was genuinely surprised. I was genuinely shocked at the brutality of it, at how callous it seemed. But it was in line with her character as you go through the game. She is disconnected from relationships. She's disconnected from other people. Every interaction she has with other people has this arm's length at everyone. So even people she's really close to, she can't really be affectionate with per se. Uh, she doesn't even see, which you see later in the game, the scars or the seraphites. She doesn't even see those people as people. They're just, that's just, it's us and them. And that's, they are them. And how many of them have I killed? I don't know, but I'm so disconnected from maybe even human interaction that that's my purpose in life. And without that, I have no purpose. And that's a theme that comes up later in the game is when she's totally knocked for a loop by seraphites and ends up having to help them uh she starts questioning her purpose in general like who am i and what am i supposed to be doing here um and so i thought that uh, i thought that she was going to let him go and then she domes him and leaves ellie you get the sense that she did have some sort of honor and nobility in i just came here for this guy and then i'm good and once they killed, once she killed him, she was able to go back about her business. Um, you find out again later in the game, she wasn't even really supposed to be there per se, right? She was, she got a lead that she had to follow up on. She talked Owen into it and some of the other people because some of them were former Fireflies and the rest of them were just supported Abby and, and Owen. So, um, but for them to kill uh, Joel so early, what were your thoughts on, on that in the game? I think, like, once again, it's one of those things where that, to me, is the most pivotal part of the story. Right. So to have that be paid off so early, one of the big criticisms is that it didn't have as much gravitas as maybe it would have if you knew... if you did Abby's story first. Do you know right. what I mean? And right. thought like, oh, maybe she'd change her mind. Maybe after the scars thing or whatever, she'd change her mind. Like, you know, I think it would have had, you know, not I, because I haven't played, uh, a right. lot of internet <laughs> commentators. I'm going to really be try to be careful about my language because this isn't my like, national opinion, but the opinion of a lot of people that I've right. researched 
in order to do and this. And we can frame it that way. Just like what is the, the consensus from the internet is this, but this is from someone who's played it. Yeah, so the, the um, consensus yeah. from people who have played the game with differing opinions to yours is that if you had spent the first half of the game playing as Abby, growing to know and love her, it would be even more shocking when the control was taken away from you and she domed Joel after you spent all that time getting to know and love her and not really understanding like if they had sort of buried the lead a little bit and you didn't really understand who she was after or what the mission was or whatever you know it 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 may have had a better payoff than doing it at the beginning that's one of the criticisms right so and yeah and and i totally understand that and i see that i think it's definitely a perspective and i just have a different perspective and i know i'm a little bit of a homer in this because i've i wanted to like this game but i never at any point during the during gameplay or uh you know over the course or post post game I never felt that I never felt like an up and down in terms of how I felt about this game or did I feel like they were doing the right things narratively? Um, you know, maybe they didn't need this or, or could have had more of that. Um, I like the fact that you don't play Abby's story until after Abby and Ellie finally meet up about midway through the game. I like that. And I like it because. I wanted it. I'm I'm thankful that it was a surprise that she was gonna, you know, <laughs> she's gonna split Joel's wig that way. I I'm I'm glad that it was a surprise because I was left with so many questions. Why did she do this? Why is she so angry at him? What is the, what is the the motivation for these people? And then they're just gonna leave. Who are they? And how on earth am I going to get to a point where I'm gonna be able to get them? You know, and and as I told you from the beginning, uh, when I started playing it, is like I don't know what they can do that will make me not want to seek revenge on all these people. Well, it's funny. Just as a side note, just for me personally, I no matter how much I liked Joel, when I watched the first one and watched the ending, when he killed all those people just to save Ellie, I was like, well, that flies in the face of everything that I believe in. Because my personal human philosophy is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So he should have let her die if that had a chance of saving people. Yeah. And but that's my like personal belief. So I don't think that I was as enamored by Joel as many people were because like I think what he ended up doing was incredibly selfish and you know it it's 100%. all well and good to have it in a story but if everyone in the real world acted like that like the world would be a very different and worse place. Because a lot of people but I think have a lot to do of selfish do. selfless stuff in order to keep the world ticking around I, I agree I think it I think it comes down to uh, I think he would be selfless if it had if it was anyone else if it wasn't sacrificing his daughter dying at the beginning is no accident in the way that it plays out in the end with him not allowing Ellie to die that's I mean that's 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 purposeful storytelling to get you to kind of see that through line and I think the same thing here that I don't blame Joel for making the decision. Now, that may be more than I was able to do. Maybe I wasn't able to just kill those doctors in cold blood. 
but I can tell you that I probably would not have taken her, my daughter, to to have her. I wouldn't taken any of my kids to go have their brain removed um, to save the mini. It would have just been too hard. Somebody else would have had to make that decision uh, for me, uh, most likely. I just don't think I could have sacrificed them. And absolutely, it's selfish. But I think that's. Um, I think that is the point. Is like he's human in this respect. He would rather have his daughter than, which in the end, maybe it would have worked and maybe it wouldn't have worked. It, it's you know the the, but the point is is they they don't know now and they won't. Um. So, with with Joel dying so early, I agreed that initially it was anticlimactic in a way. It's like he's dead and then I'm going to be forced to go forward. One of the things in retrospect that I liked about that is it actually made it to where I felt we, if you didn't have those, those intermittent flashbacks with uh, Joel for the rest of the game, I, I think that it definitely would have been a waste to kill him so early. But the fact how the game ends and the other flashbacks over the course reminded you that he was a father figure to this, or her, he was effectively her father. Um, and effectively, you get to you get to see the the nuance of their relationship. And the very last scene of the game was one of the most powerful because it tied all of this story that's been told kind of out of sequence it tied everything together it was like it was like uh oh i I can't think of a really good example from storytelling in movies but basically you have this this tumultuous uh this tumultuous game where there's all these ups and downs and then you'll get you'll get kind of fed a bone of all right, here's this flashback of Ellie, and you're like, well, I, I don't know if, how this ties in. All of this pain and all of this, you know, you this distance between Ellie and, and Joel, and then the very last scene of the game, you get to see the night before he goes on that trip and dies, right? You get, to, you get treated to this scene where it's Ellie and Joel talking about wanting to rec- reconcile and then never being able to reconcile. Opening the door to to fixing their relationship and then it just never being able to happen. But the fact that they were able to at least have that one last moment together just makes the fact that he dies when he dies that much more tragic and it gives meaning to that death. So, yeah, to me, anyway. I figured. That, so, what do you think? Of, I figured yeah. you would feel that way. I would just say, like, you know, the gen, the general consensus of people who are in disagreement is just that it was sort of cattywampus if you had done the Abby story first, and maybe they just buried the lead about who it was that she was going after. They could have made you think it was Tommy or something like that. I mean, he runs a big settlement. You probably would have believed that. And then if you grew to love her, everything, like, you know, feel for her, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes and domes Joel. Then maybe it would have (laughs) felt different. Um, That's, you know, that's just the criticism there. So what do you think about the ending? So um, 
as Ellie plays through her part of the campaign and you get to the point where um, you get to the point where basically it's the third day. It's right before, well, right before things kind of pick up at, at, you know, at the end of the game with Abby, you, you spend three days trying to get to that point, searching for Abby and, and, and Tommy, really, you, you're going to, you're going to rescue Tommy. Uh, you find out Dina's pregnant and all this other stuff. I mean, there's there's other drama that's kind of woven into this story. Um, by, by the time you get to that point in the game and you're 10, 12 hours into the gameplay, Ellie has done so many kind of terrible things as well. You're like, man, I mean, for all the things that she's done and all the things she's been through, I'm on Team Ellie, but she's not really redeemable. You know, she's she's just a, a tragic character that's had to do a lot of really bad things and is is broken because of it, you know. Then you meet Abby. And Abby, uh, then you go, you know, you, you, you meet Abby. Abby comes in, storms through, kind of turns your life upside down, shoots Tommy, kills uh, Jesse immediately. And then has a gun drawn on you. And then you go right from that going into Abby's story. And you're like, okay, this is this just went sideways real bad. How on earth can they make Abby likable? How can they make her even relatable? Uh, and then they start with her story and, and some of the uh, some of the backstory where she came from, how she got to that point, uh, you know, waking up in the in the Seahawks training or their, their stadium and their training center and all that stuff. And, and uh, you get an idea of how she could train to be as, as strong and capable as she is completely different gameplay style as well, which I really enjoyed making, adding, giving purpose really to playing a completely different character for half the game. Um, over the course uh, of that, over the course of her campaign, you, you get the the impression that she very much is one track mind soldier, and now that she's killed Joel, her focus can be on seraphites and getting rid of the scars, um, and that that whole war. Um, but she does have a love interest, and in Owen, uh, and and you they kind of play that out. And I'm I'm explaining all this because it does help with the ending. Um, or explain my feelings on the ending over the next few hours though you you get to see Abby put into I guess certain predicaments where she's having she's being challenged and her belief system is being challenged she rescues these two seraphite kids uh, and she um, has to come to terms with her love for for Owen uh and she becomes much more human. You get to see, you know, what motivated her and what motivates her to be the way she is, to do the things that she does. Uh, and, and in the end, she's not that different in terms of motivation, really, than Ellie was. And that's why I said by the end, I, was on, I wasn't on the fence as to whose team I was really on. I just finally un- felt like I understood Abby. Uh, and and I could I could see her motivation and where she was coming from and and I felt like they had done enough 
explaining from her different relationships with Nora and and Owen and Isaac uh, and Manny, her you know her her roommate who kind of like is a, her brother who looks out for her and and has uh, gives her guidance, kind of keeps her loose and on the straight and narrow, but but keeps her from being so serious. Um, they did enough with by showing and not telling you those relationships, explaining those relationships, fleshing those out. And, and so I felt by the end, I knew who all of these characters were, how they fit into her world, what motivated them and why, uh, why you would feel the way you do for them, you know, because it was complicated. The whole thing between Nora and I feel so, I feel like I'm, I'm talking about a TV show, but that was the thing by the end of this, I felt like I had watched four movies. I felt you like basically I seen, have. <laughs> you basically have. I mean, it was it was. I felt like I had seen four movies, and and everything I had to do from uh, escaping the hospital where the Rat King was, which was oh my god, the worst, or um, or the island where you're, you know, you're you basically are on the run. Which I finally figured out how much better the game is when you don't try to kill everything, and you actually run um it's it's exciting it's exhilarating but it's also part of the game that they meant for you to really enjoy and and to play it that way because uh you don't have enough resources to kill everything necessarily or you do if you wanted to you could do it but it would take so much longer and that's part of what makes ellie and abby um and playing this game in general so cool and so uh so much fun is the the agility that both of them uh, enjoy they're able to to escape evade hide and then you can attack and then escape evade and hide and and attack and it was a type of gameplay that i had so much fun playing that i i didn't want it to end like i really enjoyed it that much i've i've enjoyed i enjoyed playing this game as much as any game i've ever played um it's not my favorite game all time per se for other reasons but it is a game that I've I've enjoyed playing as much as any game I've ever played. And so okay. by the end of Abby's, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, so in Abby's story, just two things that you briefly touched on. So the subplot with the uh, transgendered kid and the right. subplot with the pregnant woman and the subplot with the dog and the subplot right. with yes. the sex scene. Now those are four elements that the internet commentators in opposition likely to your view would bring up at this point and i i feel like they i don't i don't understand the negativity surrounding first of all the dog uh how could you how could you be negative about especially that particular one alice you knew in game when you were playing as, or I did. I realized it without knowing exactly why. That when I was playing Ellie and I killed that dog, that there was something different there because it was a different experience. You didn't. You were forced to interact with that dog in a different way than you were any other dogs. Like I hit dogs with Molotov cocktails sometimes because they were such a nuisance and so difficult uh, to deal with. They could smell you and they could rat you out. Uh, and so they made hiding really difficult, but if you hit them with a Molotov cocktail, well, they definitely didn't make it, but 
anyone else that was close to him didn't make it in and gave you a chance to get away. Now, that was usually because I didn't have a brick or anything else to throw to divert him. Uh, and the first time I did it, I did, actually did it on accident. <laughs> and then you were like, it. screw it, burn all the dogs. Hey, that really works. No, and I, obviously I felt bad. I felt bad with, for everything I did. It wasn't like die, you know, die, die, die. But I, I was like, I have to survive. And for me to survive, I've got to do these things to survive. So I put myself in their headspace as much as I could to say, I see why you did what you did. But when you kill Alice um, and when you when you interact with Alice for the entirety of, of uh, Abby's playthrough, you get to see that those were someone's not, not really their pets, but almost, I mean, that was their companion. It was, it, it was equitable to, to friends of mine who were in special forces that had their own canine units where they would, these are people who jump out of helicopters with their own uh, German shepherds literally strapped to their chest. And when they hit the ground, they, they release them. And that's their, and that dog has been everywhere that they've been overseas uh, in really bad areas. And so that's their best friend. You know, that was somebody who, who they looked to and probably had more affinity for than most human people in their life. Well, I would, um, I would say the negative criticism is that they used it as a device to just show you how bent on uh, like vengeance Ellie is. But because they forced you to do it and you knew that like, oh no, they're going to bring this dog up again that many internet right. commentators felt like it wasn't as effective because you really didn't have like a choice, you know, like they just right. force you to kill this dog in a horrible way. And, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, the dog jumps on your face. And so you've got to, it's going to kill you if you don't kill it. And I think it's just being nitpicky. And is Alice I, the I, pregnant I, woman? No, Nora is. Nora, yeah. So Alice is Alice is the dog. Oh, okay, I didn't and they know the do dog that had on a purpose, name. <laughs> I think in the beginning. Yeah, they do that on purpose in the beginning. They call, "Hey, I'll go get Alice." And you don't know who Alice is. You think Alice may just be somebody else that's part of your crew, but Alice is one of the dogs. And so um I think it's just being nitpicky by people on the internet that they would complain if you killed the dog and didn't explain it. They, they'd complain if you killed all these dogs. One of the reasons why I think they humanized Alice as much as they did was because there were dogs that were being killed. You know, you did or had the choice to kill these dogs. And so if you did it, they put an emotional consequence that maybe heartless people didn't see. I know for I did. I felt... Once I had seen that, so much more emotion for dogs that I had killed throughout the game. Because I, I never, you don't want to have to do that. In fact, the times that you've had to do it in Call of Duty felt nothing. Because it was an enemy and there was nothing, there was, there was no emotional tie to it. But even in this game, you hear the people talking to their dogs or whistling to their dogs. Or, you know, they're, they have an interaction that is so much more real and genuine that's different than what it is uh in any other game that i've played that made it that made those uh made those relationships uh just more believable and so when you had to kill a dog you're like I, you know that sucks but i i gotta get to the next place instead of dog jumps on you you put your forearm in their mouth and you stab it with your knife and that's call of duty you know um and because that's how I think, and there may be other games. Battlefield may have done something similar to that, 
But so that's one. The pregnancy with Nora and that that I just again put myself in their headspace. Okay, you've got somebody like Owen who who through all of the cutscenes is doing everything he can to try to to stay human with Abby. Takes her to the aquarium. He talks about his dreams and like Abby has no dreams. Abby's like we've got to train. We got to do this. Everything is business to her. And Owen's like, just come over here. Let's have fun. Let's go to, let's be on the Ferris wheel. Can you for one second stop thinking about being a soldier? And Abby couldn't. And, you know, he can't. And and they were dating. And I think at some point it's implied that they stopped dating. And so he starts dating Nora and she gets pregnant. And so, but he, he doesn't believe in what they're doing as wolves. He doesn't believe they should just be having this war with the Seraphites and is disillusioned with all of it. And when he finally gets confronted and has to save someone because they don't need, you know, that you just don't kill children, well, then someone else bucks up to him and he ends up shooting that person on accident because they were wrestling over a gun. But that's it for Owen. Owen's going to end up getting killed. Abby wants to bring him back in because she cares about him. But as far as any of the other wolves are concerned, if they heard that story, they'd kill him, you know? So he's got nothing. He's got nothing, uh, you know, that he can, uh, that he, you know, that he can really say. And so it it humanized him and it made uh, that relationship with Abby realistic uh, I, I, I believed it and it made it complicated. And so, uh, at the end when you, when you didn't really feel anything until when I, when I realized that I, as Ellie stabbed a pregnant woman, I mean, then you realize that, okay, this is your low point. This is where you've really hit rock bottom. And the criticism from the internet would be that pregnant woman should not have been going into such dangerous situations all the time. It was ah, not necessary. And other people could you're have probably done it. right. And, and, and most likely she wouldn't have been able allowed to, but she also was a doctor. Um, let's, let's forget about the fact that the very first scene that she's in, when, uh, the Seraphites attack you and the truck wrecks and probably would have aborted the baby to begin with because of the wreck. Let's let's just if we can get past that part and just go on once she's checked out at the once she's checked out at the at the next base. Basically, that's the end of her duty. So she's no longer going to be going out anymore. She's she's wristed and pushed it as far as she can. And they address that in the game. Uh, Yeah, she probably shouldn't have been on that trip at all. There's probably not a really compelling way to bring her into the story. Otherwise, yeah, well, they were also saying some of the ways that she was animated, like when she was jumping up on things, she was like squishing her pregnant belly into corners and stuff. And they're like, that's not how that's not. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'm just saying devil's advocacy. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And I appreciate it. I I still think it's nitpicky. I mean, um, she was she's a, a slight individual. She wasn't very big to begin with. Um, the, if, if that's where they're going to suspend their reality in this entire game, when the rat King was completely there made up of, you know, uh, other molded, moldy, uh, fungus filled individuals, uh, moving through 
like a, I don't know, like, like a moldy Hydra. If, if you're, if you're going to suspend your disbelief for that, but not for the pregnant lady, um, I don't know. I think Did people they... have a harder time suspending disbelief when it's something they are familiar with in the real world, you know? Well, I know, and I am too. It's it's much of what I do, but I also am the kind of person that can go enjoy a movie without ruining it, saying, well, that's not realistic. Thanos actually couldn't <laughs> snap his so fingers triggered. in that glove. You know, Th- Thanos can't snap his fingers in that big metal glove. That doesn't make sense. You know? You're so triggered like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I guess, and, and it, to anyone who has a differing opinion, obviously, I'm not trying to sway. I hope it's obvious. I'm not trying to sway anybody or tell you that your opinion is incorrect. Um, I don't necessarily agree, but that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't mean that it's, that it's wrong in any way. Just that I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that the story was what it needed to be. It was as long as it needed to be. And to finally get to answer your question about the ending of the game, um, this is the only part that I would be overly critical about that I think it almost felt like an epilogue. And I'm I'm okay with that. I didn't want the game to end. So when she ends up going and having PTSD... Uh, in in the barn, I thought that that was an incredibly powerful moment to me. That's that my eyes welled with tears when she when the door slams and and she she collapses with the baby and I just know enough soldiers that have have had something happen to them where they black out and they're they're not present because of something that happened similar to that. And I can only imagine if everything you've done for the last ten years is sneaking from here to there your life is in danger all the time and you're you just have to be at a heightened sense of awareness 24 7 it's difficult to relax and and the and the trauma that she had just experienced over the last four or five days or that four or five day stretch um and then coming home to something quiet and normal sometimes people just can't they just can't do it they haven't decompressed and her need to go find Abby, I think in the end, was as much about the fact that she can't have that life with Dina. She can't. She's she's she has not decompressed and what is normal to her is that confrontation. It's like people that have had seven, eight, ten, twelve, twelve tours in Iraq and Afghanistan or in Vietnam, three or four tours in Vietnam. You come back and like the and normal isn't right. Like this is not right. No, I I can't function in this society. And I think that was what happened to Ellie. She can't function anymore in that that normal reality. What what Dina wanted and had. Ellie was so far gone and disconnected from that that she wasn't capable of it. And so then she goes on this last trip uh, to to finish it in her mind. Um, and at that point, Abby has changed. She's pulled a 180. She's back to more or less some version of who she was before her dad dies. She's got someone that she's caring for. This is very much akin to who Joel was after Ellie changed him. Because Joel was a was an ass and, and a murderer and basically just did what he had to do. 
until he met Ellie, and Ellie uh, woke something up inside him that was human again, and then he cared. Um, and and Abby was very similar in in that respect, and and uh, she wanted the fireflies and to find them and to, but little did she know she actually was being led uh, to a trap that Ellie eventually kind of falls into herself. <laughs> the The way it ended uh, with with that the fist fight after she had just marched through and killed all of these, I don't know what they were doing at this place um, in California. I mean, did you get a... I Maybe I rushed through this part a little bit faster than I should, but essentially they were just sadistic people, like getting people infected on purpose yeah, and then chaining them and maybe cannibalism. I don't know. Yeah, that didn't if feel not, terribly clear, to be fair. It wasn't terribly clear. I don't know what kind of debauchery was happening at that place. I know that the people that were a part of that community were maybe the worst people that we've met so far in the game. Uh, just in the way that they just had no... I think that the, they were the worst type of people. Uh, whether cannibalism was a part of it, I am very sure that... Uh, they were extremely violent. Um, I got the impression they were going to do terrible things to Abby. And I was just like, this is not the direction I thought the story was going to go. Uh, when you finally see her strung up on that post and you, and you let her down and then you have your last fist fight with her and, and you end up, you basically win it. You could have killed her. And then you've come to terms with the fact that what would that change? How would that bring Joel back or, or, or heal you? And, it, and you realize that it will, would not. It doesn't. And then you let her go. And then it ends with the scene of Joel and Ellie talking about recon reconciling. Um, trying to, you know, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's leave the door open so that we can fix this one day. And that's what what Ellie says, and Joel says, I'd like that, you know. And in their own way, healing that relationship just enough so that they, they that gave them both hope. And maybe the only hope that, that they had all game for anything, you know. Hope died at some point in that game, and it ended on this, this scene of hope. And, man, I, I thought it was the most beautiful way. Now, the, the whole fight scene and everything else uh, I, and the epilogue and that that, that part of it, I was just happy to still have some of the gameplay. Ending with that scene with Joel was was made everything that happened up to that point worth it to me. It gave gravity to Joel's death at the at the beginning. Was seeing this scene because again it tied it right back to that scene and tied it right back to Joel and Ellie and the relationship of those two throughout this game. That it just it, it it gave it it gave it purpose it gave his death purpose to me and meaning in that or or it gave it gravity and made it even more tragic maybe not purpose but definitely gave it gravity and so i was i was left feeling emotionally drained in a way that that only the best movies and games have done for me um 
that I was like, wow, that was heavy. Um, I didn't want it to end. I'm pleased with the way it ended, even though it's tragic and sad. And, um, and in the end, no heroes, no good guys. Um, well, isn't you know, it Confucius that says if you like embark on a journey of revenge, first dig two graves? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't go home after that. Ellie can't go home after that, right? There's no place to go after that. After that last fight with with uh, Abby and just sitting there in the in the ocean, effectively, where do you go, you know? Uh, now, I've got a theory as to what I think is going to happen. We can talk about it in another show. I feel like we've gone on long enough in this one, but uh, that is... It was it, to me. This was a an excellent follow up. It was. I appreciate the artistic vision of the people that made this game, and for sticking to you know their guns on on what they wanted to make for the length they wanted to make it. Primarily because the game is so much fun and the gameplay is so much fun. If it wasn't, I would have felt it was a slog. Um, but the fact that the cutscenes are seamlessly intertwined. Uh, in the game with the gameplay. Um, it's just a wonderfully tragic game. I think that's very poignant. Yeah. Well, before we close the topic um, on this postmortem, I just want to get a few quick snippet reactions to the other key uh, criticisms of the title. So if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one is a general criticism of political pandering. So the inclusion of uh, homosexual and transgendered characters in a post-apocalyptic society where already in our current society they're a very small minority of the population uh, was unrealistic pandering. This is not my thoughts. This is the internet. For what, for what now? Say that again one more time. Who was the who was being pandered? Uh, so pandering to the LGBTQ community. Uh, uh, hmm. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see that. I I, I, I didn't see any because Ellie's characters obviously ha- has been she's she's been a lesbian from the beginning of the of the series. So she has had female love interests from the beginning. Um. And that and the relationships, and that's, a, again, something that I think is not always handled very well in gaming um, or delicately or, or, or with enough genuine care for the two people to make you care about the relationship, not about the physical part of it. It's, it's like, why would these two people care about each other? Why do they love each other? And you get you got the impression that they had some common interest. It was young love, but they still cared about each other. So I thought that was done really well. And then if you didn't really pay attention, you probably wouldn't have gotten the transgender portion of it. So uh, of the game. So I don't I don't know. I I don't think it was pandering necessarily at all. I, I don't I don't think I think it was. Um, it was inclusive and respectfully handled, and just in my opinion, and and it and it was compelling enough. The reasons in the game were compelling enough for why these circumstances were that I feel like okay, well that that seems plausible. That's 
That's interesting. It's not just shoehorned in here. And I think that's what the people are saying is the critics are saying is that they shoehorn this in here because it's in here. <laughs> you know, I mean, just because it's in there doesn't mean it was you're pandering, you know, find an interesting reason for including it or don't make it a big deal where they're hammering or hitting you over the head with it. It's just a part of life. And so just put it in the story. I think you do it one of the two ways. You can't do it where you're like, hey, look at me and, and all and any stereotype that you've ever heard and plug those into the game and then make it to where it's in your face all the time purposefully to bring awareness to it. I think that's doing it the wrong way. Make it compelling and interesting or make it normal. Just, hey, this is just a part. This is that relationship and just keep it that way. I think that's good that's when you did the story well and i feel like they did that here again like i said i'm i'm biased because i really like this game although i would not argue with anybody that says the game length was long or that they couldn't have just ended it at the house and then sequel from there um but so but I, I, it's, yeah. it's valid. I just don't agree. And then the second one was that the sex scene felt shoehorned and some people thought that the male character model looked like the creative director's face. The male, like Neil Druckmann? No, the, yeah, Neil Druckmann. Yeah, the creative director of Naughty Dog. Wow. I, I don't see that at all, but I don't, yeah. But again, I wasn't really overly concerned with that particular scene in the game i mean that was a very that's a very short relatively short scene um and his character model doesn't look anything like neil Druckmann. i didn't think so myself after looking at the two people i was like mm, i think you that's could, a stretch neil has a beard first of all and longer hair but even if he cut those things off i don't see any resemblance i tried to picture who he kind of looks like who owen looks like in the game in real life and and i it, i couldn't put my finger on exactly but i can tell you who it wasn't and that's the creative director for the game so yeah i think that i think i've covered all of the key criticisms but if anyone is listening and you think that i didn't voice one of them then feel free to to comment absolutely and and i'm i'm not here to change your mind i just i really enjoyed the game and i enjoyed it for all the reasons that i explained um, but I thought it was a really good story, and it and it and it was told the way that I that it was uncompromising. The gameplay for this for this series has been great, and they improved on every component, every aspect of the gameplay. And and so, if you liked the first game, this one's a must play, in my opinion, because it's only better. Excellent. And there's more of it. Yeah. Well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Robo Gamecast. Apologies, it's a little longer than normal. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, TemplateGeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at RetroRebel at TemplateGeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your favorite podcast and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.